Let's open our Bibles, Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. We get to open the Bible again. We'll talk a little bit about persecution in different places they can't. They just can't do that openly, freely. And we have so much freedom that we don't use, that we don't use it, and we uh, take it for granted. Matthew chapter 23, uh, Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and the real reason that he rebuked them was? There you go. You're all kind of getting it now. Yeah, there you go. Hypocrisy, really, acting a part, pretending to be what one's not, to believe what one is not, acting this religious role, and that's what they were doing. And, you know, in the church, it's true. None of us are perfect. There's a measure of hypocrisy in every one of us, but it's no reason to continue the show. Well, I'm a hypocrite anyway, so I might as well just keep being a hypocrite. We really need to live what we believe and, and, and make it real. And bring our walk up to our talk. So Jesus talked about humility in that passage as well, and not hypocrisy. Humility in serving others and action, doing what we believe. So for us to drop the show, to get real, to get real with God, let Him work on us, let Him work in us from the inside out. Rather than get the outside all clean, let Him work from the inside and do something in there. That's what... That's what is incredible. When you know God is working in your heart and life, I, I've known this you know, from, from early, early on, that there's nothing more exciting to know that God is working in you. There's a lot of stuff in the world, a lot of stuff going on around, but, but when you know and, and you have experienced that God is doing a work inside of you, there's nothing like that. There's nothing like that. But we have to cooperate. We do. We have to have enough with hypocrisy, have enough with just making a show, have enough with just pretending and say, God, that song we sing, search me, oh God, know my heart, search me, know my thoughts. Today, Matthew chapter 24, um, I want to talk about the end of the world, the end times, and who isn't in interested in that? Anybody? Don't care? You know, the, the thing about it is we want to know and yet we don't want to know. Because if we kind of know, then we, that kind of gives us responsibility. If we kind of know about the future and, and the end times. But we, we're curious, but we don't want to really like make it affect me, really. And how I live and what my life is all about. Chapters 24 and 25 in Matthew are called the uh, Olivet Discourse. And they, the reason they call that is because he was up on the Mount of Olives, as we'll see. But it's about future events, future events, these two chapters, and, and kind of that's the theme. And, and we, we've seen in the news uh, last weekend, you know, May 21st was supposed to be the rapture. Well, if it did, uh, we're in trouble. But I want, before we start on Matthew, keep your hand in there. I want you to turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And these are kind of the overarching verses that I want to um, look at 
and just read. Actually, we sang these verses, and so now you're going to memorize them. A slightly different version. But Titus comes after First and Second Timothy. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Kind of over, overarching this study in Matthew 24 and 25. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious of appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. While we wait, we live for him who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a, pe a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. We talk about the end times. We, and we're looking ahead to that in Matthew 24 and 25, but the bottom line is, while we wait to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for that blessed hope. It is an incredible blessed hope. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 24. I, I, I'm kind of one of these bottom line people. Well, what's the bottom line? And the bottom line is that while we wait, we live as if it could be at any moment. That's the bottom line. That's the whole, the, the whole thought behind what is going on here in Matthew 24 and 25, that, that, that we really don't know exactly when it is. It could be at any moment, and are we living like it could be at any moment? That's kind of the thought. Now, I could give you all the answers, all the dates. I could give you all those answers. You know, when the rapture will occur, Exactly when the great tribulation is, I, I, I have got all those not. <laughs> the second coming. But, you know, the problem with that, even if I did, we would just take it easy till then. If we know, okay, well, this is when the test is going to be, those of you that are students, you've been students, the test is going to be, you know, such and such a date, so when do you start studying? Like the day before, yeah, Exactly. Because we're not smart enough to know, you know. So he, he wants us to know that it could be at any possible moment. So you need to live like it could be at any possible moment. That's the thought behind all of this. Not that we need to figure it all out and then we know it, then we understand it, and then, you know, we're going to uh, go on the radio and tell everybody when it's going to be. Matthew chapter 24 um, David Guzik, a pastor at Calvary Chapel in Santa Barbara, he, he, he sums it up like this, in the period after Jesus ascends to heaven and before he comes again. That's kind of a pretty big picture, right? After the ascension and before his return. And other people, they take these verses and they break it all up and they assign different sections. Well, this is what this is and this is ex exactly what that is, different times and different events. Someone said that many have tried to fit what Jesus taught here into a rigid sequence of prophetic events. And, and I, you know, there are certain parts that apply in different ways to different groups and different times, yes. But when we start to say, well, this is exactly how it is, I think we miss the, we miss the point of it all. Some of the passages are, are applying to Israel. Some are applying to the church. And, and with prophecy... 
prophecy in general, some prophecy had immediate application, like was going to be for something that was happening right then, and some for future, and some actually applied to both. It would apply to something right then and to people in the future or situations in the future. Now, you know, some, again, some people can figure all that out. I'm just not smart enough to figure all that out, to be honest with you. And, 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 and so for me, what is the bottom line? It's, it's Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is he's returning. And do we believe it? And do we, do we kind of take that into consideration, like how we live our lives? There are a lot of different views. Those of you that, you know, have studied this, read it, there are a lot of different views. Who's right? Well, we are, of course. We know that, first of all, right? Right? Well, God is right, ultimately. And, and, and you know, you hear about the pre-trib and the post-trib and the mid-trib, and, and I think the pan-trib is the right one. That's it's going to pan out just the way God wants it to be. The, exactly when he wants it to happen, that's when it's going to happen. And he's decided not to tell us a lot of these things. He wants us to kind of be clued in and say, well, look around and keep your minds, you know, kind of focused on what's going on around the world. But Warren Wiersbe says that scholars of prophecy do not agree on all the details of future events. And that's like an understatement, I think. The main thing is he's going to return, and, and how are we going to live in the meanwhile? That's the main thing. But let's look at these verses, and again, we'll, we'll kind of bring out some of these ideas and some of the, some of the concepts, but we, we can't look at it all. Again, we, we could spend the next year. I'm trying to move a little faster through Matthew, just if you haven't noticed, um, because we could spend the whole year looking at all these different things, but... If we did that, we would forget what, what the main purpose of it is, is to be ready, be watching, be looking, be waiting. Look, let's look at verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone... Here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. And as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? The disciples, they came and, and I don't know why, they, they brought this up about the temple, but it was, a, it was an incredibly magnificent building that Herod had, you know, instituted to rebuild this temple that, you know, Ezra in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, when they came back to the land and they, they, they rebuilt, Ezra rebuilt the temple, but he thought it should be much grander and, and it was one of the, you know, wonders of, of the ancient world at that time. It was magnificent. It was absolutely incredible. So Jesus, they said, Jesus, check it out. And he says, well, you know, that's, that's not going to last. That is not going to last. There's not going to be one stone left on another. And that's an that's a important thing. And so they're kind of stunned by this statement of Jesus. And so they ask these questions. When will it happen? And what will be the sign of your coming in the, in the, of the end of the age? There's a lot of things 
there. And, and, and in this chapter, and in the chapter to come, there's a lot of things there, and, and it's kind of, some of them are, are very clear, and others that, that we're just going to have to wait to see how he does it, how it works out. But one thing we can say for sure, as Jesus was talking about this, some 35, 37 years later in A.D. 70, the temple was completely destroyed. The Romans came into Jerusalem in 70 A.D. They completely destroyed the city. They completely destroyed the temple itself. Every stone was taken off one another. And the reason being because there was so much gold and, and the fire that they lit the roof and everything was burning. They, they, the gold melted and went in the cracks so they had to take the stones apart so they could get the gold out. So the, the, the thing is that Jesus said that this is what would happen, right? This is one little tiny piece that he said, this will happen. And sure enough, guess what? It happened. So Jesus' words and the things that he's said will happen, they, we can be sure that they will happen because his word is true. His word is sure, What Jesus says will come true. Let's keep moving. Verse 4. Jesus answered their questions. The first thing he tells them is, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. He says, watch out. The first thing he says is, watch out. There's going to be weird stuff. There's going to be weird people. And, and, and don't, don't believe it. Don't follow after it. Don't go insane after all this stuff. How many of you remember 1988 when the guy came out with the booklet saying 88 reasons why the world would come to an end or, or the rapture? I can't remember exactly what he was, was predicting, but he predicted that it would happen. 88 reasons why it would happen in 1988. How many of you remember that? Some of you were around. Some of you weren't alive in 1980, I guess. It says that uh, he predicted, he wrote this booklet, and I remember, I might even still have that booklet somewhere, uh, that on September 12th, this would happen. It says, when that failed to happen, this guy, Edgar Wisenant, he rechecked his mathematical calculations, found his error. Oh, I found my mistake. The end was then predicted to be September 1st, 1989. So he, he updated his booklet, 89 reasons why, you know, it, watch out for these wackos. He was wrong. Our Lord said, uh, this quote is, that no one would be able to predict the time. We must always be ready. What about the watchtower? The predictions of the watchtower, they kind of gave up after a while. They, the watchtower would be the Jehovah's Witness uh, publication, their kind of public publication arm, 1914, 1915, 1918, 1920, 1925, 1941, 1975, 1994. Of the Seventh-day Adventists, she came up with a date. The Mormons have come up with dates. How many of you remember that, that group, Heaven's Gate, and the Hale-Bopp Comet of 1997? You remember that? And then there was Y2K. Oh, yeah. 
the whole world was going to crash because the computers couldn't keep up with the change and all that, and then nothing happened. Like, whoa. It, you could do a search for this, and I did a search, and I was just overwhelmed by how many hundreds, really, of since the beginning of the church, hundreds of dates that have been kind of like set. This is not new with, with uh, this guy Harold Camping, though this was his, not his first uh, attempt, I understand. It's been happening on and on and on and on. And Jesus says it here. He says, watch out. That no one deceives you. The deception is, you know, thinking that we, we understand it all. We've got it all figured out. And they come up with, with these mathematical calculations. We've got to be careful. Once they start the mathematical calculations, you've got to be careful, I think. We need to be patient. But we need to be ready. You know, there's these two we need to be in, in tension, that, that our lives are like that. We need to be patient. It, it, it could be a while, but it could be right now. Be ready as if it was right now. Be patient and be ready. That's the challenge for you and for me, living as if it, as if it could be today. Look at verse 6. It said, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes, famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. The beginnings of birth pains. All, you know, people look in, and, and I even think about it. Well, all this stuff that's going on, it must be. You know, all these, these disasters and wars and, and all these things that are happening. But the truth is... Most of those things have been happening, really, all throughout the history of the, of the earth. I believe that perhaps things will get worse and worse. But he says, don't be alarmed. Don't look at that and say, oh. He says, this is just the beginnings of birth pains. Look at verse 9. He says, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. And you'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole nation, to the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All these things you see. Looking around, he says, don't be alarmed. All these things will be happening. Persecution. You say, well, that can't be. We don't, we don't have any persecution. The truth is that more Christians have been killed in the 20th century than all previous centuries combined. That's the truth. Do a study on it. You'll see. Apostasy, he talks about here, which is the turning away from the faith. False prophets, deception, wickedness increasing. We see that. He says, yet those standing firm to the end, not to earn our salvation, but because we're saved, we stand firm. And the gospel going out to, to all the nations. Now, do these things apply to us here? I think much of this is happening now, but I think these things will increase. It will get much, much worse. You say, well... 
This is talking about, and again, people that kind of break these things down, well, this is really talking what I've just, the passage I just read, well, that's like the first, the first portion of the, what's called the tribulation period, the seven-year period. Will it apply to us? Well, what about the rapture? And, and, and I want to talk about the rapture for a minute because, you know, the rapture is basically this, the Lord taking His church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the, the voice of the archangel and the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, He said, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. This, this word caught up is where, we, where this concept of the rapture comes from. One teacher says this, we believe that the church will be taken out of the world before the day of God's wrath begins. And, and you, you have to just do a simple search in Revelation. You see the wrath of God being poured out. <coughs> Revelation chapter 6 just goes on and on and on. Warren Wiersbe says, that the, as the people of God, we will certainly go through tribulation, but not the tribulation." We face a lot of these things today. They're already happening. Apostasy in the church is, is, is rampant. The emergent church, you know, whatever you want to call it, you see they're, they're, they're moving away from the Scripture, moving away from true faith in, in the Savior, moving away from the, 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 the foundational doctrines of what the Bible, teach, the Bible teaches. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we wait for his Son the Son of God from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. He says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 3, verse 10, He says, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. This is what we talk about by the rapture, that God would spare us. When exactly will that happen? I don't know, but, but God's, God's Word says it, so it will happen at some point in time. Again, it, how we live, knowing that it could be at any moment. One commentator, he continues, he says, actually the next event in God's time schedule is the rapture of the church. He says there's no prophecy to be fulfilled before then. And after the church is removed, God's prophetic clock will begin, and these conditions will quickly manifest themselves. I don't know when that could happen. But something is going to happen. You better believe it because this is what God's Word says will happen. Are we ready? Are we living like it could be today, like it could be tomorrow? Let's look at verse 15. So, when you see standing in the holy place the abomination that causes desolation spoken of through the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand this abomination of desolation in the, the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. I want you to turn with me uh, for just a moment to Daniel chapter 9 because this is one of the important prophecies of the end time. Uh, we're not going to get into every detail about it, but <clears throat> Daniel chapter 9, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel... Daniel chapter 9, starting verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish 
transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens, which is 69 sevens, and they believe these are years, so that's uh, 69 uh, periods of seven years. And he says it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. That's Jesus. And we'll have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. Happened in 70 AD. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. And desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant, speaking about the Antichrist, with many for one seven or one week or seven years. And in the middle of the seven... He will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. You see, there in the middle of that seven years, we see this, what's called the abomination of desolation, where he actually goes into the temple and, and sets up an image, puts an end to sacrifice. Of course, an interesting to think in about this whole thing is that a rebuilt temple would be required. There needs to be a temple. Not one yet. There are people, there are Jewish people who uh, their whole life is consumed with preparing to rebuild the temple. That's all they think about. That's all they do. They're preparing all the uh, instruments, the, the plans, everything, the, the priesthood. It's all being prepared even as we speak. the middle of the 70th week of Daniel. Verse 16, back in Matthew chapter 24, says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the roof of his house go down to take anything out of the house. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that your flight will not take place in winter or on the Sabbath, for then there will be great distress unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. The second half of this tribulation period is, is they refer to it as the great tribulation because there will be nothing like it has ever been seen, nothing like it ever after it. This tribulation will be incredible. In Daniel chapter 12, it says there, there will be a time of distress such as not, has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Verse 23, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false Prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect or God's people if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. He's warned us ahead of time. Watch out. In First, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 9, it says the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan and there will be all kinds of 
counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. He says they perish in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to love the truth. Are you and I ready? Do we love the truth of God? Verse 26. So if anyone tells you, there he is out in the desert. People have done that. Let's go meet out in the desert. Sell everything you have and go out there. He says, don't go out. Or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. It will be visible for all to see the physical return after that seven-year period of tribulation. The Son of Man will return and it will be visible. People will see it. It won't be some kind of secret. You won't have to wonder, well, is that Him or is that not Him? And again, uh, with the, the understanding of the rapture, we won't be here to see that. God willing that none of us will be here to see that. But he says it will be a visible thing. Luke says that in Luke chapter 17, the Son of Man in his day will be like the lightning which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. The physical return of, the, of Jesus Christ will be so very, very, very clear. You won't have to wonder, well, was that it? Did I miss it? Did I blink and miss it? Verse 28, he says, uh, wherever there is a carcass, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. He says, at that time the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory and He will send His angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. These cataclysmic events, these, these events that will, will be so very, very clear, culminating in this physical return of Jesus Christ. And we, we, we read about it uh, earlier where he would come to the Mount of Olives and it would be split open. Verse 32, now learn this lesson from the fig, fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near right at the door. And I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. This lesson from the fig tree. And I've heard this through the years. People talk you know, about this passage here speaking about the, the uh, reemerging of the, the nation of Israel in 1948. And so the, the, the logic, the thought is, well, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. Well, we don't, how long is a generation? So then there's different speculation. Generation 40 years. No, generation could be 100 years. It could be all these different ideas. Again, once you start to do the math, you start to get into, I think, you know, Shaky ground. But the point of the passage is you need to look around and see, uh, it, you know, there are, there are things happening in the world. Someone said this, have you ever wondered why the right-hand door mirror on your car says, objects are closer than they appear? 
That's just to mess you up when you're driving. That's all that is. He says the reason is that the mirror is convex, allowing a much wider angle of vision. And he says we may borrow the words, though, and say that the second coming may be much closer than it appears. It may be much closer than it appears. Verse 36, though, no one knows about that day and hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. No date setting. Save your dates for yourselves. Don't, don't, you know. I mean, the idea yet, you know, get people thinking about it, that's a good thing. But, but when you start to say what it is and then it doesn't happen, you make, it, make yourself look foolish and, and make the, the church look foolish, I think. As it was in the days of Noah... Verse 37, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For the, in the days of, before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken, the other left. The days of Noah, basically the key word was apathy. They didn't care. They didn't care. For, for us to, to care, to have a thought, to think about it, to just not be just going about our lives, not, you know, no thought whatsoever to the future of, of God's plan for the, for the planet Earth. Apathy. Long time apathy, and it took a long time for Noah to build that ark. It was a pretty big boat. Did you hear that, um, that they're, they're going to, they're, there's a project underway right now to actually build a scale, a true-to-scale model of the ark. Any of you heard about that? Um, what's the name of the group again? Answers in Genesis, right, are, are, are going to do that for, for people to actually go and see, like, how massive this thing really was. He didn't build it in a weekend. It wasn't a weekend project. <laughs> this took a long time, and while he was doing that, he was letting people know, I believe. Verse 42, therefore, keep watch. Therefore, therefore, because of all we've just read there in these 41 verses, Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come in an hour when you do not expect him. Keep watch, he says. Be ready, he says. There was a young girl, and she had been taught about the, the, the second coming in her Sunday school class, and so she asked her mother afterwards, she said, Mommy, do you believe Jesus will come back? Yes, she said. Could he come back this week? Yes, she said. Could he come back today? Yes, she said. Could, could he come in the next hour? Yes, she said. In a few minutes? Yes, 
She says, Mommy, would you comb my hair? That's what I said, too. The point is, are we ready? Are we thinking about it? We're going to stop there because, because uh, the next will kind of flow into the chapter 25 of taking care of business, what we do while we're waiting. But this idea that, 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 that no, we don't know the day or the hour, and it could be today. Are we ready? Like uh, we read in those verses in, in Titus chapter 2, like we sang, while we wait for the blessed hope the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. We say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. One man said these words. He says, you cannot repent too soon because you do not know how soon it may be too late. Are you just going to wait? Well, I'll get it together. I'll wait till it gets a little bit closer, and then I'll live for him. Wait till I see a few more things, and then I'll start to live for Jesus, or I'll, I'll open my life to him, and I'll believe in him and trust in him. I'll get things right with him. He's returning. He's returning for his church, and he's returning to the world, to the planet Earth. The question is, are we ready? Are we watching? Are, are we waiting? So number one, we need to be right with him. We, we talk about that every week, and I, and I want to continue to talk about that every week. We need to be right with him to be ready. That's the number one way to be ready, is to be right with him, to have a relationship with God, that you know him as your personal Lord, your Savior, that he has saved you from your sins through the cross, through his death and resurrection. If you do not know him, you need to be ready and be right with him. And you can do that right here and right today. Don't, don't leave this place not ready because you don't know what could happen out there today. And secondly, for every one of us, are we watching? Are we waiting? And are we living for him? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. We don't just study the Bible to study the Bible so we can get head knowledge and so that we can, you know... Think of how, how, how smart we are, and, and this is the way the Pharisees were. That's hypocrisy. We, we read the Bible so we can ask ourselves, well, what, how does that apply to me? What does that have to do with me in my life? What am I going to do? How, what am I going to change? How am I going to surrender and submit more to Him today? Not next week. We don't know if we have next week. We do not know. How many days we have? I was talking to a medical examiner in San Diego on the phone yesterday. They were waiting for toxicology reports to come in. He'd already done the autopsy. I've spoken with him before. He, he got the toxicology reports and Really, there were kind of no surprises, and yet there were surprises. And uh, basically, they, they found, uh, you know, he had prescription drugs, and they found prescription drugs to a high level, and they also found uh, uh, illegal drugs in him to a high level. We thought he was drinking alcohol. There was no alcohol in his system. He didn't know the day of his death. It came suddenly that day. 
They're calling it an, an, an accidental overdose. Did he know Jesus? I said this to you when I got back. I don't know if he did. Could he have cried out to Jesus in those last moments? Yes, he could have. I do not know. I do not know. And I need to go in, in, in a couple of weeks and do a memorial service and talk about these very issues. Do we know the day? We do not know the day. Are we ready? Are we ready no matter when it could be, when it is? He appears to have brought it upon himself and, and sad to say this is what happens when we, when we go the way of the world and we, we're not living for Jesus. We can get ourselves into some serious, serious trouble. God forbid that any of us in this room are, are, are going down those paths. But be sure that there are people all around you that are. Be sure of it. Let's pray together, shall we?